It's never too late to start over. There's a movie called Sea Biscuit that's based on a true story during the Great Depression. It's about a horse who is too small to race and runs with a slight limp, whose jockey is too big and too angry, and, but this horse has an indomitable spirit. The trainer is pretty much washed up in the racing world, and uh, he's been a guy that's been given a, a second chance. The, the trainer's name is Tom, and in this clip, he meets the owner uh, of Seabiscuit, and they have a discussion, and this Tom is out trying to save this horse that they're going to shoot, so he, he has compassion for animals, but he makes a statement at the end of this clip that really will springboard into the message because it's our big idea for the day, so listen closely. Howdy. Hello. You hungry? No, no thanks. I'm fine. Charles Howard. Tom Smith. Nice to meet you, Tom. What's, uh, what's in his bandage? Oh, that's, uh, Hawthorne Root. It increases circulation. You want to sit down? Oh, all right. Thank you. <coughs> Will he get better? Already is, little. Will he race? No, not that one. So why are you fixing him? Because I can. Every horse is good for something. Dude, he could be a cart horse or a lead pony. He's still nice to look at. You don't, you don't throw a whole life away just because he's banged up a little. I do believe that's the way that our Heavenly Father sees us, that uh, we're all good for something. You don't throw a whole life away just because it's banged up a little. Because if you did, I don't, I don't, I don't think any of us would be here, would we? That's right. I, I think we need to say that together. You don't throw a whole life away just because it's banged up a little. I, I think it applies to many of us. As we get banged up, don't even matter whether you're in the kingdom or not, you still get banged up. Everybody experiences failures, don't we? I, I wish I could tell you that you give your heart to Christ and your life will be a string of unbroken victories. Not so. God does not build that protective bubble over us. I wish that he did, but he doesn't. We have setbacks, failures, defeats, losses. And sometimes it's, it's like this tidal wave that just overwhelms you. You just can't hardly... You just can't hardly move. That's the way Job felt. We always go back to Job for an example. Job 17, 11, my days have passed. My plans are shattered, and so are the desires of my heart. You ever felt like that? My days are past. I've been left behind. I have lost my joy in life. I have no purpose. I am adrift 
in a sea of chaos almost. And sometimes that happens to us. My plans are shattered. Maybe you feel like that today. Maybe you felt like it last week. Maybe you're at the end of your rope. And some of you maybe are thinking, well, you know what? My life is great right now, and I really don't need that mess, this message. But I'll tell you what, you take that bulletin, you fill it out, and you save it in your Bible or save it somewhere, because there's going to be a day you're going to need that, because we all fail. None of us have made that perfect life where nothing ever goes wrong in it. I want to look at some causes of failure, actually, this morning. Going back to our big idea, you don't throw your whole life away just because it's banged up a little. And keep that in mind. The book of Proverbs, we, we find out five actions or five different failures that, that come upon us that maybe you don't know that that's happening in your life. And number one is this. We fail when we don't plan ahead. It's like the old saying that says, if you fail to plan, you're planning to fail. You've got to plan ahead. Proverbs 27, 12. A sensible man watches for problems ahead and prepares to meet them. But the simple-minded man never looks and suffers the consequences. Sometimes some of us have a, have a tendency to really be impulsive, and I am one of those people. But the impulsive person never looks ahead. They live in the moment. They, they try to soak up, try to have fun within the moment. We talked a little bit about that last night, that, that those of us that are, are sanguines and in some personality traits, we're otters, that all that matters is fun, and it's fun while it lasts, but... Life can't be fun, can it? I wished it was. I wished I could promise you that when you came to Christ, he'd just give you this clown nose and it'd just be one big circus. It don't work that way, does it? Because there's some things that happen in our lives that we don't smile about, that they crush us, they break our hearts, and there we are. And then what do we do? We'll fail many times, but you never really a failure till you give up, till you finally, that last straw has broken, you throw it in your towel and you're done. And that is the tragedy that I see, have known in people's lives, lives that have followed Christ, that God didn't line up. God didn't do this. God didn't do that. So they're done. They're done with this. And they put it somewhere where they don't even have to see it. And they live miserable almost non-existent lives, and that is a sad place to be. But that's not talking about you, hopefully, this morning. You don't throw a whole life away because it's banged up a little. That's the point. Proverbs 16.9 says, we ought to make our plans counting on God to direct us. And that's one of the reasons we don't, sometimes we don't, we don't bring God into the plans. We'll come concoct these huge pans and maybe have a whole stack of paper written down of what our plans are, but God's not involved in any of that, and that causes us, that causes us grief sometimes because he needs to be involved in that. Yeah. Noah was told by God to build an ark. never rained on the face of the earth, and it didn't rain for 120 years. That's planning. Jesus talks about a man who built a house, and he had to quit because it finished because he didn't plan ahead. You don't throw a whole life away just because you're banged up a little and you don't plan. Number two, we fail when we think we've arrived. You ever met anybody that thinks they've arrived? They've got everything together. Proverbs 18, 18 says, pride leads to destruction and arrogance to downfall. Somebody said, the person who gets too big for his riches will eventually be exposed in the end. That's one of those that takes a while to think in because you're... 
you're trying to picture that, and I kind of pictured plumber's crack, but I don't know what you guys are picturing in your mind, but nonetheless, but uh, it's what happens. You can say that in church, can't you? Well, I reckon you did. You already spit her out there, so <laughs> that's the thing. That's the thing about you can't go back. You can't go back. The Bible says, let him who stands take heed lest he fall. Pride causes us to fail. It's an amazing thing about, I, I don't know about other parts of the world. In America, you're hard-pressed to find somebody that says they're average. We're always above average. It, that's, the way, that's, that's the way it seems that, that we're wired to a degree. I don't, I, I don't know where that comes from. One of the symptoms of pride is we don't think we need any advice. I've got this all together. I don't need anybody. Me and Jesus, we got a good thing going on. I don't need anybody to tell me what it's all about. Kind of like a Lone Ranger Christian, if you will. Proverbs 15:22 said, plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors, they succeed. We don't, because we don't plan ahead, we fail, and we fail because we've arrived and we really think that we're above that. You know, it's like the story of the whale. You come up to the surface and you're ready to blow and that's when you get harpooned. You don't throw a whole life away just because it's banged up a little and you think you've arrived. Third action about failing is we fail when we're afraid to take risks. Proverbs 25, 29 says, fear of man is a dangerous trap, but to trust in God means safety. The moment we start worrying about what other people think, you're doomed. A fear of failure can be a cause of failure. For those that are older, remember Francis Tarkington. He said, one time that fear set you up to be a loser. Maybe I should wait, I'm afraid, and you miss this golden opportunity. The greatest failure is not to try. When I die, I want four words on my tombstone that says, at least he tried. That he wasn't a quitter. That he didn't give up. That he hung in there and fought the good fight. That, that's what's most important to me. And that's what brings abundance in our lives. It's what brings success in life. Don't be afraid to go out on a limb. That's where the fruit's at. And you don't throw your whole life away just because you're banged up a little and you're afraid to take risks. Fourth action, we fail because we give up too soon. A lot of times with folks, they give up because they just stop trying. It's the path of least resistance. A couple of weeks ago, we looked at a verse that we was talking about, don't give up. Pastor Jeb preached on it last week. If you don't give up, eventually you'll reap a harvest. Proverbs says, a lazy fellow has trouble all through life. At first you don't succeed, you're normal, try again. Thomas Edison tried over 200 elements before he found the right element to make the incandescent light bulb. He said, don't call it a failure, just an education. I know 200 ways that it don't work. Lincoln lost almost every election until he got to be president. Proverbs says we fail because we're lazy. We don't want to work. Reader's Digest said this, the value of a postage stamp is its ability to stick on one thing until it gets there. An oak tree is a little nut that refused to give up, give its ground. We fail because we don't plan ahead, because we think we have arrived. We're afraid to take risks and we give up too soon. Number five, the number one reason we fail, we don't listen to God. Proverbs 14, 12 says, there is a way that seems right to man, but in the end it leads to death. God's word is filled with guidelines and principles to make our lives all that God wants them to be. Then all really, if we're in God's tomb, what we want it to be. But too often we listen to our feelings. You know, I, I feel that this is the right thing to do, even if God's 
word says it differently. That's what the enemy is a master of. He, he comes to us and says, you know what? That's what God says, but just, just go ahead and do it. If that's what you feel like doing, and then we suffer the consequences of that, actually. Fact is, God's word is usually the opposite of natural inclinations. God says the way to get is to what? To give. The way to be honored is to be humble. The way to greatness is to be a servant. All the paradoxes of the Bible, usually you can take your natural inclinations and figure out just the opposite. And that's what God will say. God says, my ways are not your ways. They're higher than your ways. When we don't listen to God, we're in trouble. Lack of prayer causes a lot of failure. Regardless of the cause, we all fail. What do you do when you fail? How do you respond? God is more interested in your future than he is your past. Here's four ways to get a fresh start in life. Accept responsibility for your own failure. And boy, it's hard for us. Proverbs 28, 13, a man who refuses to admit his mistakes can never be successful, but if he confesses and forsakes them, he gets another chance. If you've made a mistake, admit it. I blew it. I was wrong. It's on me. Face up to it. Be honest. Since the Garden of Eden, when Adam blamed Eve for the whole apple incident, we've been passing the buck, and we love to point fingers Man, it's not me, it's this person over here. But there has to come a time in our lives that we've got to accept responsibility. Man, we blame, we blame a lot of things. Frank Reeves said, to blame is to be lame, capital B-L-A-M-E. When you're blaming, you're being lame. We blame the economy. We blame God. We blame the weather. Blame your parents. You blame your spouse. You blame your government. But God says if you want to start over, if you failed, you've got to admit it. I don't know where we've got off. Of, we think everything, everything has to be perfect. My life has to be perfect. Everything about me, my clothes have to be perfect. My teeth have to be perfect. On and on and on. I don't know where that's come from, but it's here, and we, we, we live it sometimes. You're not perfect, neither am I. I've failed over and over again as a leader. I've failed as a husband. I've failed as a father. I've failed as a friend. But it's in those moments you just got to suck it up, if you will, and say, oh, you're right. It's on me. John Maxwell said in the leadership conference, one of the first ones I ever went to, if you're in leadership, it's always your fault. Well, that makes you wrinkle, wrinkle up a little bit, and it upsets you, but it's true. You can call it how you will. You just got to be able to be big enough to accept that. In 74, 1974, after an 88-game winning streak, UCLA basketball lost to Notre Dame. They lost in a game they'd been ahead of 11 points. The next day on the sports page, in the headlines, Jod Wooden, Wooden, the coach, said, blame me. That's the mark of a winner. He doesn't pass the book back. Buck, he just got a little overconfident. That's what he said about the team. Accept responsibility for your own failures. You don't throw a life away because it's a little banged up. Second way to get a fresh start is you stop regretting and start repenting. You've had a major failure, you stop regretting it and you start repenting. The Greek word for repent means to change your mind, to look at it a different way. How many of us this was raised maybe in church and you was raised in a, in a tradition that you did come to the altar and you brought all your sin, you brought all the stuff in your life up here and you laid it at the feet of Christ. But then how many of us picked it up and took it back with us? 
I, I'll tell you what, I, I could stand here the rest of the morning and tell you in, in my home church all the trips that I made to the altar confessing things, but I didn't change. I'd go back out in the world and do the same stinking thing the next week and then the next day or the next Sunday, boom, 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 boom. I, I've always told people that there was a, a path wore on the carpet from my pew to the altar. But then, you know, one day it, you just, the Holy Spirit smacked you on the head and said, man, when are you going to get it? You've got to change. You just can't keep sinning, repenting, sinning. There's got to be, it's, it's got to come in. There has to be a change in your life. And that, that's the way it is at believers. When we come to Jesus, he expects us to change. He demands it. We can't go on like we're doing, you see, because it's a poor witness. I tell you what, there's a lot of folks that claim they're believers in the way they live and act. They shouldn't tell people. It's a detriment to the kingdom. He's got to see changes in our lives, and those around us have to see them as well. We've got to be different. Yes, 2 Corinthians 7.10 says, The sadness that is used by God brings a change of heart that leads to salvation, and there's no regret in that, but worldly sadness causes death. There's two kinds of sadness mentioned in this verse, godly and worldly. Godly sorrow, worldly sorrow. What's the difference? Girl, godly sorrow motivates you to change. It brings a change of heart. It motivates you to do something. You know, I'm going to change. I'm going to be different. I'm going to get some help. I'm going to get some counsel. I'm going to get people to pray with me. I'm going to go to counseling. Regardless, I have made up my mind and set my face to Christ that I am going to change my life. And you have to say that. No one can say that for you. Worldly sorrow is demoralizing, depressing, and it causes death. Poor me. Poor me. Nobody likes me. Everybody hates me. On and on and on. You never learn anything when you're in that mold. That's worldly sorrow. And a lot of times that's when we do blame God. Man, God, you made me this way. No, you made yourself that way. Godly sorrow leads to repentance. It leads to a change of heart. It's like a little kid. And mom says, don't touch the hot stove. You ever been burnt? Or, as my mom said one day, there's a, there was a pastor behind our house, and Barbara and Keith remember this, but don't go back in that pasture because on behind that pasture is the woods and there's a pond back there, and I don't want you to go back there. Well, I've had a problem in life when somebody tells me not to do something, I, I just, I do it. I know none of you are like that. I'm, I'm, I'm just strange. I know that, but I went back there and... Uh, here come mom, and I learned the durability of a peach switch. They do not break. <laughs> you remember that, Barbara? It's probably the only beating I got in my life from my mom, but nonetheless, I should have got more. If you think I should have got more beaten, beaten, say amen. All right, God bless you. You know what I'm talking about. It's like wet paint. You ever see a wet, don't touch wet paint sign? You ever look at that? You see all those stinking fingerprints in that? Man, there's tons of people that touched it, so they go away with paint on their hand. The Good News translation, a verse from Psalms, sometimes it takes a painful situation to make us change our ways. We've got to start regretting, and it doesn't change. We've got to keep focused. When we look in the past so much, you'd be like trying to drive looking in the mirror, and you're probably going to have a crash somewhere down the road. Third way to fresh start, forget the former and focus on the future. Philippians 3, 13 and 14, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me everward in Christ Jesus. 
We got to forget what's behind and focus on the future. Do you have a memory that manipulates you and controls you? It's like I've always said that if you use that curtain as a closet that we all have a closet full of skeletons in our lives. I've never met anybody that does that. But as God looks in that closet, as we have confessed and repented, they're all gone. The people in our lives don't look at it that way. They're still there. So I was telling you somebody, I was at McDonald's Thursday morning early. I don't know why it happened. Maybe for this, uh, use some illustration in this message. Guy's walking out and he lays this yellowed paper, uh, yellowed newspaper clip from 1965. And it was about a friend of mine who had gotten in trouble as a kid and, and went to jail. He wanted me to know that. I, I don't know why. Isn't that bizarre? Who would save a newspaper clipping from 1965 and drag that out and give it to me? I, I, don't, I, I guess I'm at a loss, but that's how it works. But that's the way we are with our past. It's in the past. It's, a, it's water under the bridge. We can't let it control us. A great example from the scriptures, Peter and Judas, how they reacted to failure. Matthew 26, we get a classic example how two men responded to failure in totally different ways. Verse 75, Peter and Judas were disciples. Both Peter and Judas denied Christ. Both Peter and Judas were devastated by their own failure, but they responded to their failure in totally different ways. Peter denied Christ three times, and the rooster crowed. Verse 75, immediately the rooster crowed. Then Peter remembered the words Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. You imagine the feeling of Peter. Here he had been with Jesus and ate with him. They'd slept together around the fire. They'd, they'd done great miracles. He'd seen all this happen. How could you not know Jesus was God in the flesh by hanging out with him? But nonetheless, here's a guy that said, Lord, even I don't have enough guts to stand up for you. Someone asked him around the campfire, are you with Jesus? No way, man, not me. And he wept, and then he used a little profanity, I think, to go along with that to cement the deal. He was disappointed in himself, and his self-esteem was not high, and he felt like a complete failure. It says he went out and wept bitterly, and he must have prayed, oh, God, how could you ever use me? I've let you down. God says, you didn't let me down because you wouldn't hold me up, but I defeated myself by my own words. He felt remorse. But Peter stopped regretting, and he repented. Judas simply had worldly sorrow in verse 27, or chapter 27, verse 3. When Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse, and he returned the 30 coins to the chief priests and said, I have sinned. I've betrayed innocent blood. And they said, what's that to us? That's your responsibility. So Judas threw the money in the temple, and he left, and he went out, and he hung himself. One commits suicide, one repents bitterly. I'm sure Peter in his mind, I can never be used again. But we see what happened on Easter morning. Mary goes to the tomb and she sees Jesus and Jesus says, go tell my disciples, Mary, and tell Peter. Why did he single Peter out? I think it was because Peter probably thought, I don't deserve to be a disciple anymore and God can't use me. And he needed that special word of encouragement. And Jesus said, 
Go tell my disciples, and don't forget Peter. So Peter repented, and he changed, and we know the story. The same man who denied Christ three times on the day of Pentecost, 50 days later, preached, and over 3,000 people committed their lives to Christ. That's the same man. Can you imagine if Peter had walked away from Christ? So I'm going to throw my life away, but you don't throw a life away that's a little banged up. Look around. We're all beat up. We've all got scars and wounds. You might not be able to see them, but in our spiritual lives, if you, you think about all the failures and all the times that we left, let Christ down, that's all of us. We're all in this together, actually. And I don't care what your failure is. You're not washed up unless you quit. And that's the point. And that's the point as we gather as the body of Christ is to cheer each other on and encourage one another and not knock each other down. But you go to each other in love and say, hey, here's the deal. That, that's, that's what the body of Christ, and that's the only way we're going to make it. We're not going to make it on our own. We need Christ and we need each other. And you don't throw your whole life away because you're banged up a little. Fourth way to fresh start, trust God to work it all out. Accept responsibility for my failure. Stop regretting. Start repenting. Forget the former. Focus on the future and trust God to work it out. Romans 3.28. We know that to those who love God, who are called according to his plan, everything that happens fits into a pattern for good. Fits into a pattern. It's like if you've ever done needlework. On one side is all knots and strings, all tangled up. It looks something like that. But you turn that over and it looks like this. God sees the knots and the tangles, and hopefully the world sees the p- picture that's pretty that God is working out in our lives, and that's, that's how he does. We've all got problems. It doesn't matter if the devil called, caused them or you brought it on yourself or caused by other people. God will still use that. He has a way of overriding our big mistakes, and he works them all out. As you read this, read the 11th chapter of Hebrews. All these guys were losers. These were the heroes of the Bible. And if you dig deeper, they were adulterers, murderers, liars, cheats, swindlers, weak-willed, and wishy-washy. Yet God uses people. If he used perfect people, they wouldn't get much done. I think what God wants to say to you and I this morning is he wants to take your greatest failures, that area of your greatest failure that you want to hide and keep secret, and he wants to turn it into your greatest strengths. Look at Moses. Weakness was anger. God kept him out of the promised land because of his anger. He broke the tablets at Kadesh Barnea. He was supposed to touch a rock, get water out of it. God was going to bring it. He was mad. He hit the rock. (coughs) Excuse me. Killed the Egyptian. Yet Moses became meek. The exact opposite of his greatest weakness. Look at Abraham, Joseph, Paul. Weakness into strength. What's your area of weakness? We all got it. God wants to take it and use it for his strength. I love this verse in Jonah 3.1. And the word of the Lord came to, to Jonah a second time. God is the God of second chances. He gives people second chances and third chances and tenth chances and fiftieth chances over and over and over again. I don't know how long you've been a follower of Christ, but think about all the time that God has forgiven you. The question comes to this this morning. 
Are you tired of where you're at? You want a fresh start in Christ. That's the point. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. For if a man is in Christ, he becomes a new person altogether. The past is finished and gone. Everything has become fresh and new. God specializes in new beginnings. It's never too late to start over. You might say, you know what? My life is one big zero, one negative. How does he turn a negative into a positive? How does he turn a minus into the plus? He makes a cross out of it. God specializes turning crucifixions into resurrections, and he's good at it. And those of us older, we say, I've wasted so many years. Joel 2.25, I will restore the years the locusts have eaten away. Isaiah 61.1, I will restore beauty for ashes. And that's the good news. Maybe some of you have been following Christ for quite a while. And you've given your heart to Christ in a sense that you've accepted his salvation. But it's never went much farther than that. There's a lot of places in your heart that Christ wants to be. He wants to be everywhere. Every room, every compartment. And maybe he's saying that to you this morning, that it's, it's time to give, give, finally give that up. Because you've, you've got some of these symptoms in your life, and you need to have them taken away, actually. Maybe you've had a tough week, tough month. Some of you can say that I've had a tough life. My life has not been fair. Continually beaten down, beaten down, bad luck, on and on and on and on. And I feel like a failure. Maybe it's in your personal life. Maybe it's in your marriage. Maybe you feel like a failure with your children. Maybe you feel like a failure at school. Maybe you feel like a failure in your career or in your relationship to other people. Lord asks, you want a fresh start. You can begin a new life. It's never too late to start over. With Christ in your life, the best is yet to come. It starts by us fessing up and being honest with God, and maybe it's a prayer like this. Jesus Christ, I don't understand it all, but I ask you to come into my heart. I really want to know you, Lord. This seems too good to be true, but I ask you to forgive me. Wipe out those painful regrets. Help me to focus on the future, the goal, living for you. Lord, I want to believe that you can work all things for good, even the bad things in my life. Lord, somehow use them, even the dumb choices that I've made. Fit them into a pattern, I pray. Help me to stop regretting and do something about it. Help me not to give in to a pity party but with your power to change. Help me to forget the former. Help me to focus on the future. Help me to stop blaming other people or events, but to trust you to work it out, all out. Jesus Christ, come into my life right now. Lord, I pray that if somebody has got to that point in their life that they prayed that prayer, that that they mean it, it's real, and they have a desire to follow you and to give their life to you, Lord. Right now, Father, as we... We sing this song. If there'd be anyone here that needs to come and lay anything down as a symbol that they've let that burden at your feet, that help them to come. Help them to feel comfortable enough to come, Lord. And anybody here that just needs a, a hand on them and they need to be prayed for that they might come as well. So I just ask that you bless these few moments. We ask these things in your name. Amen.